0: is the New South Wales Country Hour with Kim Honan on ABC New South Wales.
1: Good afternoon, welcome to the Country Hour. In the next hour, 19 months after the catastrophic floods caused significant damage to the Norco ice cream factory in South Lismore, production has recommenced. The chairman of Norco will join us and bees have escaped euthanised hives at the Griffith Tip, stinging a member of the
2: public.
3: As we've gone to do that, we have disturbed the hives. We found that some of the bees weren't dead. Um, potentially, these were bees that were um, in larvae when the when the hives were processed, and that they've they've hatched. Um, they've come out. We did have a, a member of the public on the tip base at the time who was bitten by these bees.
1: The mayor of Griffith will join us, and we'll head to the central and the northwest and check in on the rainfall. You can text me on 0467 Nine double two six eight four today. Well the Rural Fire Service has confirmed four houses have been lost in the Kulagalite fire that burnt through more than six thousand hectares. There are reports that one dairy farm lost five hundred and fifty acres of pasture, silage, water infrastructure, fencing and livestock. Marty Webster from the Far South Coast RFS told Lisa Markham, with more property assessments underway today, that number could rise.
4: Yeah, look, that's what we're working on at the moment. Um, we're still doing a lot of work in that area, trying to determine exactly exactly what has been lost. Um, we do have concerns that that number may raise a little bit during the day, but um, hopefully not too much more.
5: So you haven't had a chance to look, I guess, everywhere yet?
4: Yeah, that's right. There's um, some properties that we haven't been able to access yet, and... Um, yeah they there have been the properties that have been been more heavily hit, um but we hope to be able to get in there today as long as the wind uh, doesn't cause us too many dramas
5: so the fire's still burning where are the uh the points that you're most worried about today
4: oh look we've had we've had quite decent rainfall across the fire ground um so there's still hot spots out there. We're we'll really going to a pattern now of um identifying hot spots. And and making sure we can extinguish all of those hotspots. So you know the rain's been really welcome. It's done some great um, some great work extinguishing the bulk of the fire, but we're going to be chasing hotspots for a while to come yet. Yeah. So I'd really like to reassure people that we won't be walking away from this until it's absolutely dead and buried.
5: What do we know about other infrastructure losses? We know four homes. uh, Have we got sheds and fencing and livestock? Is there any numbers on on those losses?
4: Yeah, we know there's a number of outbuildings as well. And the latest report we've had was um, 60s were lost as well, which is really unfortunate for the... For the people involved in the stock as well, of course, we've we've heard some reports of wildlife loss as well, but we don't have numbers on those yet.
1: That is Marty Webster from the Far South Coast Rural Fire Service there and jointly funded Commonwealth State Disaster Recovery Funding is in place for those in the Bega Valley Shire which will provide low-interest loans and freight subsidies for primary producers. Well, landholders are being asked to ensure their properties are easily accessible for firefighters in the months ahead. Volunteer firefighter John Webb has been working with RFS crews near Golgong this week following the grass fire which started on Monday, burning through 340 hectares, he spoke to Tim Fuchs about the efforts to bring the fire under control and what landholders can do to help firefighters.
6: This particular fire was in a lot of rural subdivisions, 25 acre or 10 hectare blocks. Um, not blaming them or anything, but um, it does make it very difficult to put it out. Uh, every block might be subdivided into four or five paddocks, so um, you know, there's a lot of fences to cut and get through and bad access to some, um, but Some blocks are locked up, um, you know, from absentee owners, things like that, too. Not that many, but some, which means there's been no stock on on them at all. Years ago, a lot of that, when it was all farming land, would be eaten down fairly well with livestock, but it does make it a bit more difficult now.
3: Given what you've experienced the last couple of days because we're heading into a summer where we're told you know it's going to be a very high risk bushfire season grass fire season um what would your advice be to property owners uh, to be able to help firefighters such as yourself battle these fires
6: well i think really it should go back to the winter time and more hazard reduction encouraged i know that's easy said and hard to do because a lot of people on these blocks don't have uh, any equipment to put a fire break in to do any burning, and uh, often they come to us and want us as fire brigade to do it, but we just can't do it for everyone. We haven't got the time uh, to do it and can't do it. But if people have got a block, they just need to be aware of the dangers that could be there and uh, create some sort of a, um, a break around their properties. A lot do. Uh, I, I'm not. Uh, I don't want to be derogatory to the newcomers in our district, but um, a lot do. But also, access to the properties. A lot of people put in a little gate that might handle a side-by-side or a motorbike or something, but you need something big enough to get a, um, a fire truck through at least, or maybe a road grader. Um, it will just make it that much quicker instead of having to stop and cut a fence and uh, make it difficult for everybody later on. And if you cut a fence, you've got to find that, whereas you might be able to see a gate much more quickly.
3: In your experience, do you find landholders uh, are always willing and all, always there, you know, wanting to make sure that they can provide as much help to the RFS as possible?
6: Yeah, a lot do. Uh, some are absentee owners, um, and uh, uh, that makes it a little bit difficult because the fuel load, like I said before, is there. But, uh, yeah, most people are pretty good and will work with you, but a bit more preparation could be good, and I think it, could be encu- it should be encouraged a bit more I know it's easy said and hard to do, um, but um, as I say, that access thing is a big thing too.
4: And so how long have you lived in the area for?
6: Oh, all of my life. We've been here for about five generations. I've seen a lot of change, and once again, I don't want to be derogatory to the newcomers, but years ago when it was all farms, um, things would be flogged down a little bit, and, uh, you know, we've all got paddocks locked up that'll burn as well as anything. But the, you'd find somewhere, somewhere where it'll pull a fire up, where it's a bit fairer, And uh, that type of thing we're finding, that's not so much the case now. Uh, It's uh, changed a lot in my lifetime.
1: That is volunteer firefighter John Webb from Golgong. Speaking there to Tim Fuchs. It's twelve past twelve. Kim Honan with you on The Country. You can send me a text on zero four six seven nine double two six eight four. I will get to the text line to read out those messages shortly. So please bear with me. Well, with the fire season well and truly underway, let's turn our attention to our state forests and the protection of assets there. As we know, plantation and forest were significantly impacted by the Black Summer fires. Rebel Talbot is Forestry Corporation's Fire and Natural Hazards Manager. Good afternoon.
7: Good afternoon, Kim.
1: So, what sort of losses did we see in our state forests back in the Black Summer fires?
7: Yeah, the, the 1920 Black Summer fires were obviously devastating right across the state and we were heavily impacted, uh, particularly in our pine plantations uh, down in the south of the state. Um, obviously, we had fire that moved through um, all of our um, estate um, right up and down the coast and those areas that were affected. There was about 5.5 million hectares that was burnt out during that fire season, as you would remember. Um, so our heav- uh, heaviest hit areas were really down in that that snowy part of the state, so through Tumut uh, and further down in. Bombala. Um, So we had about 25% of our pine plantations that were uh, damaged or destroyed during those fires, which was a a significant loss for us and and for the state. Uh, So we've spent a lot of time since then, uh, since the to have black summer and during COVID, uh, ramping up production in our uh, facilities to be able to grow more seedlings and have those uh, in the ground as quickly as possible. And we planted about 16 million of those per year um, since 2020, uh, which means we've got um, all of these new, um, newly planted areas that, unfortunately, are also a significant, um, at significant fire risk going into this season with the prolific grass uh, that we've seen growing throughout um, all of the state and particularly in the undergrowth um, of some of our new pine. Uh, plantations as well. So um, there were a lot of losses then but we were right back into replanting um, in 2020, so about six months after the, the fires came through. Um, but obviously that's something we're watching very, very closely this year and it's a priority for us given the underlying dryness that we're now seeing uh, across the state.
1: For sure. So how prepared are you for this season? You've got new three new tankers across the state.
7: Yes, we've uh, really heightened our preparations for this year. Uh, We've got our new tankers that have come online, which are a fantastic piece of equipment. We've already had those out in use over the last couple of months, and particularly in the last few weeks uh, with fire activity. So we've been using our new tanker up in the Grafton area. We've seen a lot of fire um, around those areas um, since about August. Uh, We've also used our tanker that's based in Bathurst. Uh, That's been uh, running up and down through... um, to uh, Grafton as well and, and around those areas and of course we have our new tanker down in Tumut which has been used uh, and we recently had that down in Bombala as well, assisting with uh, fires down in the border. So um, our our firefighters are really impressed and very pleased we've got these new tankers and we'll have more coming off the production line uh, over the next couple of years. So it's, it's a very, um, it's a big change for us to, to move to these uh, state of the art tankers and uh, it, it's a really great thing for our firefighters.
1: Yeah, and, and are they not just um, you know, used by state forests, but they can be called on to be part of the the overall community firefighting effort?
7: Absolutely. We work really closely with the other firefighting authorities in New South Wales. So the RFS is the lead combat agency for bushfire and with national parks and fire and rescue. And these trucks are actually built through the rural fire services build program. So uh, we are compatible with their tankers, which makes it easier when uh, you're pulling strike teams of trucks together to go into particular areas. Um, all of our tankers uh, can then be interoperable. Uh, we can do composite crews where we need to, where we might have some of our firefighters on an RFS truck or firefighters on a forestry truck, and we're all using the same equipment Um, so it obviously keeps people safer and it makes firefighting more efficient.
1: And what sort of hazard reduction burns has State Forest been doing to to protect uh, neighbouring properties?
7: It's been quite a difficult time actually with uh, hazard reduction burning coming out of Uh, the three um, back-to-back La Nina events uh, where it was just too wet to burn and and obviously a lot of areas we couldn't get into. Uh, And we came into this um, drier period, which meant we could start getting our hazard reduction burns underway and we got quite a few done in in some really key parts of the state, particularly up north, Um, and we were starting to get more done through the Hunter and then into the far south coast. And then unfortunately this dryness, as you know, many of your listeners would know, has just come in uh, and, and, and come in quite rapidly. Um, we've got areas that are already uh, drought-affected, you know, particularly down in that far south coast, which means uh, up until the last couple of weeks, it was not possible to burn uh, without that being too dangerous. Um, so what we're looking at now, <laughs> literally today, with the rainfall that's fallen, is looking at what opportunities have we now got um, over the next couple of weeks to, to try and get more burns done before we start getting into that drier weather again.
1: And we know that fires have impacted in the national parks already. Have we seen any losses in the state forests?
7: Yes, unfortunately we have uh, had some fire moving through uh, a number of our state forests. Uh, There's, as you would be aware, a number of um, Section 44 bushfire emergency declarations in place. um, And we have a number of our fires that are... um, are in that management um, structure. So we've got our people working on the incident management teams to try and control those. Uh, we did have a fire down near the Victorian border, down near Bombala, um, that unfortunately moves through uh, some of the area that we had recently replanted. Um, so we'll be out there <laughs> assessing that and, and looking ready to get some more seedlings in the ground. So... Um, we've, we've been very proactive with any new fire start. Um, we've got um, satellite technology that we're using to track any new starts. We've also got a camera detection trial that we, we have up and running down in the southern part of the state. Uh, we have our fire tower network. And what we've been doing based on the new fire behaviour index uh, that came into place in September last year is having all of our resources, as we always have done, in place, uh, ready to go. So we'll have our dozers um, preloaded on trucks ready to, to be deployed. We'll have our firefighters uh, pre-deployed into different parts of the forest. And we've also um, <clears throat> increased the number of aircraft that we've got on contract this year. So generally speaking, we would have three um, aircraft on, but this year we've actually taken that to five, um, just purely because of, of our concerns with the fire risk.
1: And can you say how many hectares of forest and plantations have been lost in those fires?
7: Uh, we're still working through the damage assessment um, down, on, uh, down in Bombala, um, but I, I would say it'd be you know, around uh, that, that 500 hectare mark.
1: Okay. Thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. Thank you for your time, Kim. That is Rebel Talbot, the Forestry Corporation's Fire and Natural Hazards Manager, here on The Country Hour. The Country Hour.
7: I've gone up around
1: it.
2: Connecting the country. To the community. I think it's a great way to stay across agricultural issues around the state. The places.
8: Macquarie Island is a, is a sentinel.
2: The people.
5: You know, at the moment doing around that forty to 50,000 litres a year.
8: The stories.
9: It's really quite rare. Up until February this year, it would have been equaled the world record. The country
1: hour.
0: It's a great way of spreading the word.
1: Weekdays at noon on ABC Radio
2: and the ABC Listen app.
1: Dave has texted in on zero four six seven nine double two six eight four. A most welcome twenty millimetres of rain received at Trundle yesterday, just enough to provide a little encouragement to wil- wilting crops. Well, let's head to the Riverina now and to the Griffith tip to an incident that happened on Tuesday afternoon that shut down part of the premises. Griffith City Council had received 300 euthanised hives to bury, but during the disposal process, live bees, angry ones, escaped from a hive. The Mayor is Councillor Doug Curran.
3: So we had um, the TPI um, dropped off some hives that they had uh Processed and believed that all of the, the bees had had passed. Uh, the standard protocol for council is to bury any animals that, that arrive into our uh, tip. And as we've gone to do that, we have disturbed the hives. We found that some of the bees weren't dead. Um, potentially, these were bees that were um, in larvae when the when the hives were processed, and that they've they've hatched. Um, they've come out. We did have a, a member of the public on the tip base who was bitten by these bees and um, then we've uh, obviously had the issue where we've got bees all through our fairly angry bees all through our tip so uh, we had to shut down the tip face which doesn't inhibit the ability to attend the tip it just inhibits the ability to go up to the tip face
1: okay so uh, how long was the tip face shut down for
3: oh just that day um, I I don't have the exact um, details on the length but it's, it's fairly unusual that we let people up to the tip face anymore now that we have the uh, processing centre at the front of the tip, we just get people to drop them in the bins and we drop the bins up to the tip place ourselves. It's only if they have larger quantities that they take in there. So um, it's unfortunate we are, we do have a, a tip for free month this month, so we will have increased people out there. Uh, we believe that we're doing everything as we were advised by the New South Wales Government Department and um, unfortunately that isn't the case in this, in this event.
1: Yeah, so you had been assured that the bees in these hives had been euthanized?
3: We had we, we had asked on on a couple of occasions, will the bees definitely be dead? We were advised, absolutely, they will be. Uh, but they hadn't taken into a, 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 into account that there may have been bees that had not uh, come out of the larvae yet. They would come out uh, separate to the, the bees that were dying and they are the bees that have, have um, apparently absconded and uh, weren't very happy about the, the whole situation.
1: Yeah, so how many hives did the bees come out of? Was it just the one or more?
3: Oh, I, I don't have that that in front of me. Uh, there was several hives. I'm led to believe that the and we've gone to uh, bury the hives. To do that, we need to to sort of nearly squash them with our compactor and then put them underneath the dirt. And when we've done that, the obviously the hives have opened up and these bees have, have come out. Um, unfortunately, there was a member of the public up there. Our staff were safe; they were inside the vehicles, which are fully enclosed. But then the bees have obviously um, then taken off as well. So that's created a problem. Were the bees um, infected by the varroa mite, that is, the, the, the original bees, that was the belief, so we're not sure whether the, the new bees that come out would then have the same issue. That's really a question for the department.
1: Yeah, and do you have any idea how many bees absconded? No,
3: no, I, I don't believe that we would know how many bees got out and got away, but there would be a percentage in, uh, that would be in larvae in each hive at, at any one time, and then there was, you multiply that by the hives, and I think that would give you an idea, but, yeah, they were... Oh, pretty quick,
1: yeah. And I do believe that there is a, a local beekeeper nearby that is concerned that their apiary may now become infested with varroa mite.
3: That is what we're led to believe. Um, and again, we've really left that up to the department. This is uh, the council's involvement is providing the tip. Um, we didn't bring the hives in. We were advised that the, the Department of Prime Minister would be bring the hives in. That the bees will be dead, and that could we handle them? We said yes, we can. We we do handle um, deceased animals at that facility. The, the standard protocol is to bury them. When we've gone to bury them, that's when they've got out. So the department, I believe, is working with uh, the local beehive operator to try and make sure that they're not affected. We have been advised by the department that there is new protocols. The bees were wrapped, um, but what they, they realise now is that they should hold those bees over longer before disposing them at the tip, um, and that that is uh, on... Their side, and then when they bring them to the tip, they've assured us that there should be no further um, incursions of these bees getting out.
1: And are you happy with that change in protocols, or will council now look at changing its processes?
3: We will need to just address our side of it, whether or not we too allow the bee hives which have been um, processed just to sit there for a little while because they are fully wrapped. Um, I think that that would would be prudent on our side that we would not process those bees straight away. That we would give. Uh, have the information from the Department of Prime Industries about how long they've let them sit, and then we would further let them sit for a little bit longer. I think that would be um, comforting for our community.
1: Councillor Doug Curran, Mayor of Griffith City Council, and the New South Wales DPI is aware of bees escaping from a hive that was disposed of at a Griffith waste facility. The spokesperson says the hive, which was voluntarily euthanised, had been made bee-proof by wrapping it in plastic and applying tamper-proof tape. It was securely stored on the premises for a number of days before the DPI collected the hive for disposal. It is likely these bees were brood larvae that have hatched since the hive was euthanized. The New South Wales DPI says it's confident the bees are negative of varroa mite as the particular hive had been checked multiple times and was not an infested hive. The New South Wales DPI says it has immediately strengthened its disposal protocols. It's 25 past 12. Kim Honan with you for the Country out Text line 0467 922 684. Still with bees while beekeepers generally are relieved about the decision to end the eradication program for varroa mite. Dial warnings about the likely loss of amateur beekeepers have already come true in one region on the central coast where the mites were first discovered near the port of newcastle half the members of the amateur bee club have left barbara elkins had four hives and used to sell honey but she told david clawton she won't continue and neither will more than half of the club's 365 members
9: i am grandma bees and i you know i it's a sort of a side hustle for me. You know, it's a good thing for grandmas to do. I've been making chutneys and jams for many, many years. And when I was a beekeeper, of course, I was sold honey. I still hold, I still sell honey, so it's part of my livelihood.
10: And have you still um, got bees? Because you're in the Central Coast where Varroa, yeah, no, that's been a hot spot. bees
9: in my yard. Heartbreakingly, I don't have any bees. And I had to sit there, and, you know, in my dining room and watch them being killed in the middle of the night. Uh pretty awful.
10: How many but bees I, did you have? How many hives?
9: I had four hives in my backyard at one stage. I was in the purple zone or, you know, the zone that was just watching, you know, just watching what's going on. And then somebody moved a hive, whether, you know, on purpose or not on purpose, to a hill that's not very far away from my bees. I found Varroa in that one. And then what happened is, of course, now mine were, you know, in peril. So they, you know, they had to be killed. There was no varroa in mine, but I had to have mine all terminated because they were close. They ended up in a red zone, and that's what a lot of people are finding terribly. That
10: terribly would be the case close. for many people in your club, aren't you? Because you were the club secretary, is that right?
9: No, I'm the publicity officer.
10: Right? Yep. Okay.
9: We some of us are so sad. I mean, I think it's affected a lot of people mentally too. It's very depressing to put a lot of work and because you know beekeeping it's not a difficult thing, but you need to know a lot and you have these sort of whole lot of, you know, buzzing, stinging creatures in somewhere where you can see them or whatever and you're looking at them all the time and you kind of get to know them. You know, one hive is different to another. It's a bit like children, you know, and, they, and they're very individual and you really, you, you, you kind of love them, I'm afraid, and some people have gone quite cuckoo, you know. What do you mean? With, well... You know, some people have mental problems with them. They mm. really got terribly depressed, angry. Oh, terribly angry. Silly, silly angry. Like, going, let's go hide them. Right. You know, and look, this, all the human emotions have come out of this.
10: So you'll miss them. You, you won't go back to oh, beekeeping now.
9: Yeah, I can see there's a space in my garden, and I will always see that space. It's in my heart and in my backyard.
10: But you won't go back to beekeeping now?
9: No, look, I'm... My next birthday is 80, so I'm bloody old. But an 80-year-old lifting a hive of, you know, 30 or 40 kilos at chest height full of buzzing, angry bees is not the best, most brilliant idea I've ever had.
10: And it does involve more work, doesn't it, as a beekeeper, to manage Varroa?
9: Yeah, well, there's a lot of work involved in doing bees properly. And a lot of people don't, you know, and it's a job you have to look after, like, all the time. And now that we're going to have to put a lot of other things in the hive and pay attention to them, in a lot of ways that'll be good. You know, we all have to evolve, and, you know... our. How
10: will it be good? Because there are chemicals involved here, aren't they?
9: Because people will have to inspect their hive and look after them and not neglect them. And I can tell you many amateur beekeepers in the past You'll find a beekeeper, you know, having oh, I got bees down the back somewhere, and they haven't looked at them. Even the boxes are falling apart. Right. So, so you know, there's a,
10: there is a, there is a good side somewhere, but
9: oh, there, there has to be a good side out of this, you know. Yes. Though, you know, a lot of people don't like all kinds of rules, but bees have been around for millions of years. You know, just remember that before us, stupid humans came onto the planet, they will survive again. Maybe depleted for a while. You know, maybe they'll evolve a bit. But whatever happens, bees will
1: keep going. That is Barbara Elkins, known as Grandma Bees, publicist with the Central Coast Bee Club. It is half past 12 and let's head to the newsroom. Adam Story, good afternoon. Good
11: Afternoon, Kim. Uh, politicians uh, from all sides are condemning threats that have targeted the Indigenous Senator Lydia Thorpe in the uh, lead-up to the Voice to Parliament referendum. Uh, a video showing a masked man dressed as a neo-Nazi burning an Aboriginal flag and performing a a Hitler salute was posted on social media this week uh, and he's referred to um, Miss Thorpe in the video. Federal Police are investigating and will hopefully track this guy down. Rain and strong winds are slowing the damage assessment uh, from the bushfires on the south coast. Uh, Four houses have been confirmed destroyed so far in the Bigger Valley area uh, but they say the damage assessment will take several days. And those strong winds have caused uh, problems at Sydney Airport uh, today. About 100 domestic flights have been cancelled this morning as a safety precaution. Uh, Passengers have been advised to stay in touch with their airlines. And uh, still at the airport, and Qantas has apologised for an IT bungle uh, that caused delays with uh, the transport and collection of uh, a number of items, medical supplies, perishable, but also human remains. Uh, The... uh, Quantas Frey just told the ABC they experienced an outage uh, to their computer system, and they've now had to uh, roster on uh, extra staff uh, to try and clear the backlog. And with that, I will hand back to you, Kim.
1: Thank you so much, speak Adam. to you all at one o'clock. Have a good afternoon. <laughs> all right, then. That is Adam's story. There. You're listening to the New South Wales Country Hour on ABC Radio New South Wales. Kim Honan with you and it is 28 to 1 and time to check the weather forecast. Good afternoon, Gabrielle Woodhouse at the Bureau of Meteorology.
8: Good afternoon, Kim. How are you?
1: I'm good, thank you. What's the situation happening across the state today? Some wild weather out there?
8: Look, the wild weather um, is on the easing path, thankfully, Um, so that low pressure system is now out to the southeast of us um, and it's going to continue moving away, so the fresh to strong winds that we're seeing currently are going to start easing a little bit more, so we've already um, cancelled the severe weather warning um, that was covering a fairly large uh, part of the New South Wales um, coast and ranges. Um, But that has now eased, but those fresh winds are going to persist through the rest of today. And uh, likewise, that rainfall, um, we've seen most of that clear offshore, but we will be still seeing a few showers around, mainly down around the southwest slopes and uh, up towards parts of the central west. But rainfall totals are going to remain quite light compared to what we have been seeing over the last few days. So in terms of some of those totals, um, we recorded just over 74 millimetres at Daniloquin Airport um, over the you know, two-day period, um, and down across parts of southwest slopes is where we saw some of those other higher falls. So 64 millimetres at Mount Janini, and um, as we head further north up through parts of the central west, rainfall totals were generally of the order of about 30 millimetres, and up through parts of the northwest, Rainfall totals were a little bit lighter, but um, at the same time, we saw in excess of 10 millimetres for for most locations. So um, some some decent rain that we saw with this system, but uh, for the week ahead, we are looking at much drier conditions um, across most of the state.
1: And any coastal waters uh, warnings for today?
8: Yeah, in terms of the coastal wind warnings, um, we are seeing those uh, warnings ease off. So currently we still do have some strong wind warnings uh, pretty much for the Macquarie Coast down to the Victorian border. We did have a period of some storm force winds um, uh, right on the border of the East Gippsland Coast and the Eden Coast. uh, But we will be seeing those gales um, along the Eden Coast weaken. And with that, the hazardous surf conditions start to ease off during the afternoon.
1: And what about some of the top temperatures today, Gabrielle?
8: Yeah, so in terms of top temperatures today, um, it's going to be quite cool. So up in the far northeast is where it's going to be warmest. So we're looking at about 29 or 30 degrees at Grafton. But um, as we head through parts of the inland, um, we're expecting those maximum temperatures to be in the high teens. So looking about 18 degrees at Dubbo and 16 degrees down at Griffith and 15 at Wagga. So quite cool. And those cool temperatures are really going to be the story for the next few days. So maximum temperatures will warm up a fraction. But um, those overnight minimums are going to remain quite cool and it looks as though we have seeing some frost around during the morning.
1: And anything else to report?
8: Oh, there's been all sorts of stuff. Yesterday there was um, quite a lot of uh, thunderstorms that moved through um, and with that we did see some fairly uh, strong wind gusts in, in a few places and there are some reports of some damage up over parts of Narrabri from those storms yesterday afternoon. Thankfully though, we're not looking at uh, thunderstorms for at least a couple of days. Um, it's more likely that maybe during the early parts of next week we could see some showers or thunderstorms develop over the far northern inland, more likely in the very far west um, near the uh, Queensland border um, on Monday and Tuesday.
1: And what's the outlook for Kyogre for tomorrow? We're taking the Country Hour to the Kyogle show, just north of Casino there.
8: Yeah, look, Kayakul's a lovely place. Um, (laughs) I really enjoy it up there. But um, what we're expecting is um, a few showers developing over the next few days. So we will have a weak trough that's going to move up the coast, and that's going to bring a few showers. So by Saturday and Sunday, I'm looking at a couple of showers around, but rainfall totals remaining quite light. So there will be some patchy cloud um, uh, with that as well.
1: Fabulous. Thank you, Gabrielle. My pleasure. That is Gabrielle Woodhouse from the Bureau of Meteorology. I'll make sure that we head into the camp kitchen for our broadcast tomorrow from The Kyogle Show. It is 25 to 1. Well, the milk is churning and the wheels are turning. 19 months after the catastrophic floods caused significant damage to the Norco ice cream factory in South Lismore, there is movement. Part operations have recommenced at the factory with lines of production being commissioned in a phased approach with the factory expected to be fully operational by the end of next month. I caught up with Chairman Dairy Farmer Mike Jeffrey a little earlier.
12: We've got staff
13: back in the plant and we've welcomed the staff back and it's, it's great to see uh, uh, people coming back to the to the factory and, you know, they were involved in uh, uh, ramping up, uh, getting ready for the plane involved in the commissioning of the, the plant at the present time.
1: Well, it has taken 19 months to to get to this point. There's been a, a few delays um, this year to, to get the factory reopened.
13: Oh, look, nothing that uh, of any significance really. Um as you can understand, probably just a, a few minor delays with um, certain components uh, being provided by the uh, suppliers.
1: But th- yeah, this is good news certainly for the the local community, the workers, as well as the dairy farmers that supply Norco, that are members, uh, farmer members of Norco. What sort of difference do you think this will make having the ice cream factory producing again?
13: Oh, look, I think it's just uh, it's important for the cooperative, and it's important for the local community and um, yeah, we've had tremendous support from you know, consumers and the, and the members of the public and um, we're just uh, really pleased to be working towards getting uh, everything back up and running to full, full capacity.
1: So there is some ice cream already being produced now?
13: Uh, they're in the process of, um, as you can understand, uh, building a, a factory from scratch. Um, there's a certain amount of testing and commissioning of the equipment that needs to occur and that involves... Uh, Um, trial runs of of, of ice cream production.
1: So it's just the one line at the moment?
13: Yes, there's um, as you can understand, there's a number of lines in the factory and um, they all come online at different stages. So um, the the first uh, uh, line's been commissioned at this point in time um, and we expect uh, to be up and running uh, fully again before Christmas
1: yeah fantastic and in the in the meantime, ice cream has been made elsewhere under the Norco brand, the hinterland gourmet brand.
13: yeah we have outsourced a little bit of production just to keep uh, you know, customers satisfied
1: nineteen months on you know, how are farmers recovering from their floods like we 're in this uh, dry period now, um, parts of the north coast are uh, now experiencing intense drought you know, in the Clarence Valley and also the Richmond Valley?
3: Yeah, look, it, it's been a challenging time for farmers.
13: So um, obviously uh, the wet conditions and the floods uh, last year were, were catastrophic for a lot of farms and um, it's been uh, quite a long recovery. Um, a lot of farms are still recovering from that and now we're sort of running into some really dry conditions, which are, is a bit of a concern. But I think, uh, generally speaking, um, most farmers are are over the hump. Uh, There is a bit of a lingering effect, but um, uh, they're still working towards recovering. So uh, it's a challenging time.
1: Yeah, and and coal's lifting the price of its home brand milk. Are we likely to see a a flow on to Norco suppliers?
13: I'm not going to comment on that.
1: That might be a question for the CEO and we'll see if we can speak to Michael Hampson when he returns from his conference in Germany. That's Norco Chairman Mike Jeffrey, a dairy farmer from Austral Eden in the lower Maclay Valley and the ice cream factory in South Lismore expected to officially open next month. And we will have more on the seasonal conditions uh, report which will be released tomorrow on the Rural Report as well as the Country Hour. It is 21 to 1. Music
14: Hello, I'm Toby Payne from Wagga Wagga, New South Wales, and you're listening to The Country Hour.
1: Tim and Daniloquin has texted in. Only 34 millimetres at Deniliquin Airport. They must have a hole in the gauge. Most of the area had... 50 to 60 millimetres, some 70 uh, millimetres plus. Kim from Goulburn has texted in another piece of advice for people about farm entrances. Stop building gardens and planting trees up driveways because the last summer bushfires, the fire brigade, were bypassing people's farms because they couldn't get access to these entryways because they're on the fire. Looks nice, but no practical, not practical. That's Kim from Goulburn. are well, still on dairy, a much-loved local Tamworth milk producer has made the difficult decision to close their factory. In a post to Facebook, Peel Valley Milk announced the closure. Fifth generation dairy farmer Todd Wilson said they have strived to provide the highest quality product on the market at the most competitive price they can. He went on to say the family would have loved to continue but unfortunately external market influences have led to the business to make the difficult decision to close for now. While the farm will remain operational milking cows, the factory will not. The final official day of distributions will be Wednesday the 18th of October and there have been many messages of support from local customers including Jody Eckert she says that uh, one of the best things about my move to Tamworth a decade ago was discovering Peel Valley milk great product you should be proud all the best with what comes next Jackie B says uh, a message to Todd and to his family you have been quite the, the you have been the quiet achievers and my family will very much miss your superb milk products best wishes for the future And I hope you achieve great things in life. There is nothing on the market that can match your cream. And Lucinda messaged, uh, this is devastating news. There is no better milk on our shelves or anywhere else. Wishing you all the best. And we do hope to catch up with Todd Wilson in the coming weeks. Well, to the north of the state now, where rain has been patchy, but very welcome to those who were under the right cloud. For parts of the northwest like Narrabri, Moree, and Walgett, the falls were a mixed bag. For those closer to Tamworth and the Liverpool Plains, the rain gods were a little friendlier, as Lara Webster reports.
2: It's been a while since that sound has been heard on the roofs of many throughout the New England northwest. While the falls were patchy with totals around 8mm recorded for areas like Balada and heavier falls of 30mm around some areas including Weewar, Narrabri agronomist Mitch Kuehl said while any rain was welcomed, those heavier falls were not without their challenges.
15: Just light scatterings of hail from uh, about Mara north um, down through, followed the river sort of south of, south of the Nemoi River. So we'll get out today and have a look at a, a few crops. Um, particularly we've got cotton um, coming out of the ground and, and corn in those areas. And, yeah, obviously some some crops that have already um, come in, such as wheat and chickpeas, so we'll assess the damage where that hail has been and, yeah, make a call. Where we had that, that hail in particularly, we, there were wind gusts up to 100 kilometres an hour, so, yeah, quite uh, not ideal. It came with, with some rainfall, but, yeah, probably would have rather not the wind and the hail.
2: Well winter crops in the northwest are just about to be harvested. The rain will be helpful for plantings
15: for the winter crop we' we're, we're pretty much uh, done and done and dusted um, it'll if anything it'll probably bring the bring the crop in a bit quicker and bring harvest on sooner um, more so it might help um, a few of the farmers that have already planted sorghum, for example, which were just on the verge of that marginal moisture, so it may may sub that moisture back up around that seed and Get that crop off to a start, um, and yeah, areas where we had, you know, ten to fifteen mil, um, the likes of dryland cotton, um, we might be able to pull the trigger there on some planting.
2: Heading a little further south now, and those around the Liverpool Plains in Tamworth saw more gentle falls. Just outside Tamworth, cattle producer Neil Watson caught fifteen millimetres in the gauge, and he reckons he can already see the grass growing.
0: Well, we ended up with fifteen millimetres on the dot. That's just enough to put the smile on the face, I suppose. Uh, 10 wouldn't have been enough, and 25 was the order. But 15, it's amazing uh, this morning, you can see a green shoot and a green tinge across the country.
2: What does that do for you when you look out that window and those paddocks with your cattle and, and you see that little bit of a green tinge and that little bit of moisture around?
0: Well, for us, we've probably got some paddocks that have been locked up for some time so for us it's going to do a lot of good but it certainly gives us options uh, particularly if we get another follow-up in 10 days or a fortnight because there are some trade cattle that we do want to sell and uh, it just gives us a little bit more time because as we all know the cattle market's in dire straits
6: at the moment
2: well, it, it certainly is. I mean, what sort of follow-up would you like to see? I mean, because I guess that's the secret. You need some more rain to follow this. Yeah.
0: Well, you know, although we only had 15 mils, it's it's going to be enough to do something. And and what's going to help it is the fact that we're only going to get 20-odd degree days for the, uh, for the rest of the week and into next week. So that's the saviour. And there's not a lot of wind coming, so... You know, if we'd had 25 mil of rain and howling winds behind it, the, the evaporation road would have knocked it about. But, you know, it's looking very kind for the next week to, to get the most out of that 15 mils. But to directly answer your question, yes, the first rain's good, but it's only as good as the second one. So if we got that again, uh, 10, 15 mils again in a week, 10 days, it, it will turn things right around.
1: Ten with Cattle producer Neil Watson ending that report from Lara Webster and Christy Reading. It is a quarter to one. Well, farmers uh, across the Central West and Central Tablelands have also welcomed some good rainfall in the rain event. The Bureau has recorded 42 millimetres in Bathurst up to 9am, Orange 40 millimetres, Mudgy 31 and Cowra 26. Further west, 25 in Parks, 23 at Canambool, 21 in West Wyalong, 17 in Forbes and 16 in Dubbo. Neil Westcott at uh, at Alec Town, just north of Parks, has 2,300 hectares of mixed crops in the ground, and says the rain yesterday was the first he'd received in more than a month.
12: With such such a hot and dry September, at such a critical point of the crops' development, uh, the yields were definitely going back, and and uh, this was um, this rain was, um, I would think most would say, too late, uh, but it would uh, it, it will certainly help. Um, maintain the current yields we have in those crops
8: how much rain did you did you get yesterday and overnight
12: uh, look we have 14 mules here at alec town and um, i noticed parks airport was around the inch so it was a was a really timely and lovely lovely rain and should get most crops in the in the shire home those that uh, those that haven't been fed off or or just discarded for other reasons it's uh, it's uh, going to bring home a harvest of, of um, some note. I would say an average, a slightly less than average harvest.
8: Uh, that was just to some degree expected with this really um, hot spring and summer um, forecast, was it?
12: Oh, I think so. I think, like, looking at this time last year, m- most were, were almost a metre of rain for the calendar year. Well, we mm. didn't want that either, but uh, um, here here in Alec Town, um My gauge has only had 100 mils in it since the beginning of May. Four inches growing season rainfall since the beginning of May is not a a lot, but the uh, thing that has got us through to have crops that are are, are better than what you would expect um, uh, has been the subsoil moisture from those two or three very wet years prior.
8: If you didn't get any rain yesterday, would it have been a matter of putting stock onto the crops? Would it have been that bad? Look, it
12: has happened, um, certainly north and west of here. Uh, for us, we were probably not. We we um, we're crop crop only here, but uh, the 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 weight and and yield of the crops was going back daily, and hopefully this rain will put a line under that, and uh, and we will have some some harvest. Well, uh, we'll have a harvest, uh, uh, we should not not going to be the case further north of us for sure.
1: Neil Westcott from Alec Town in the central west speaking there with Alex James. Well drought affected farmers in the south east have welcomed the widespread rain. Michael Shun- Shannon runs sheep and cattle on a property at Cathcart and received 30 millimetres. He told Josh Becker it's a welcome change to the last six months where it felt like the tap had been turned off.
5: Uh, just on 30 mils uh, for yesterday and, and last night so uh yeah, very very pleased to, to receive that amount of rain. I mean, it was it was well short of what was uh, expected. Kind of watching the radar all day yesterday, feeling like an island uh, with the the rain going around us. But uh, yeah, thirty mils, mate. Cannot complain at all. It's um, it's perfect timing.
10: What does it mean at this point in the season for you, thirty mils?
5: Nah, uh, like we sort of had a little bit of stored moisture. So um, yeah, I guess a lot of our deep rooted perennial. Uh, pastures have sort of kicked away, um, but yeah, a lot of the raw grasses and that have um, have yeah been been fairly uh, slow this year. So I guess it will kick away a lot better now, and and hopefully grow some um, reasonable pasture, provided we get the follow up.
10: How dry has it been on your property?
5: Oh, it's terrible. Yeah, look, it's. <laughs> We kind of wondered what happened. It was like someone had turned the tap off. Um, <laughs> last year we were too wet, now we're too dry. I mean, I'm, I'm sounding like a farmer, aren't I, Josh? But uh, it's, <laughs> I guess I, I, I yeah, it's, it's literally like the tap had turned off. I mean, we put in um, some um, tank monitoring systems on the farm and uh, had, they came with rain gauges and we put them in in June. And up until yesterday, we'd had 19 milts um, and that was from the middle of June. And yeah, I, I was talking to a few people the other day, and there was a, a remark that um, on someone's someone's been recording the rain since 1971, and that's the driest spell they've had for that length of time. Um, mm. just literally no rain. So, um, but it's saying that the stock have relished it, Josh. Uh, particularly here, I think they've they've thoroughly enjoyed having a bit of sun on their back, uh, rather than the, the, uh, the absolute epic amount of moisture we had last year. I wouldn't say 30 mils is a break by any stretch of the imagination, but it's a start. So, yeah, no, just just uh, looking forward to seeing what the rest of the season's got to hold for us and, um, and what these markets are going to do.
1: Uh, these stories have me smiling. Michael Shannon farms at Cathcart. He was speaking there to Josh Becker.
10: The New South Wales Country Hour on ABC Radio New South Wales.
1: Kim Honan with you. It is nine to one on the country. Well, let's stay in the southeast when the Black Summer fires hit Brogo. The flames came 500 metres from Angela Keith's hobby farm. She felt extremely lucky. And this week, the fires had the Farmers the Climate Action member getting prepared to leave again. I spoke to her a short time ago.
16: On the morning, of. Um, we, we knew there was going to be extreme fire danger, just knowing that. Uh, and it's got a hot and windy day, so you sort of start preparing in the morning and then the fire started in Kulagalite, which is probably, I don't know, 15, 18 kilometres from here. So I got a call from the local RFS uh, because we've got got the phone tree that, you know, we call our neighbours and make sure everyone's aware of what's happening. So I did that and then sort of started preparing for whatever lay ahead, because there really were very strong winds. Uh, not directly in this direction, it was more towards the coast, but um, still I just, I think everyone still has that anxiety from three years ago, and uh, you get a bit hyper-vigilant. And because I'm on my own there, I sort of started putting stuff in the car just in case I needed to leave, and then um, spent time putting sprinklers out and making sure everything's sort of, you know, ready and the gates are or i knew which gates to open if i needed to leave so the animals can move and things like that so um that's um another day progressed there was um it it became obvious that it was it was unlikely that i was going to come this way but we could see the you know the big um, smoke on the other side of the mountain and just sort of praying for the people the the bermagiri and the coast and that and
1: Yeah, and to go from that, that that fire threat, to rain, how much rain did you get overnight?
16: Oh, not as much as we were hoping for, actually. Um, i got 32 mils here, which is still pretty good. That's about as much as we've had since early May, Um, and it was really dry. So I've been feeding the sheep for quite a while. Um, It's definitely a real drought. Um, so it was very welcome, whatever came.
1: Yeah, so you've been having to hand feed your animals?
16: Yeah, yeah. It was good that it wasn't a, a wild sort of bucketing down rain. It was pretty gentle, so it's soaked in and the, the ground's sort of spongy and nice. So uh, I hopefully we'll get some grass growth now for a little while at least.
1: And you've got um, a mix of uh, Dorpers and Aussie whites?
16: Yeah, well, I've got Dorper ewes and I put an Aussie ram over them and. Excellent lambs, really good.
1: Yeah, and you've got a, a herd of sixty, about
16: sixty breeding ewes, and then um, some okay. other odds and ends.
1: Yeah, are, are you concerned about these? You know, these changes in the climate, going from you know fires to storms and rain. Oh,
16: absolutely. I mean, nature is amazing at recovering, which we've seen. But if there's you know too many extreme weather events are uh, especially close together, just you know. It, it just can't recover. Every day I look up on the ridge behind us and uh, it, it's the, the damage from the hot fire three years ago and hasn't recovered. There's just like bare sticks up there, which reminds you. Of, and um, look, it doesn't matter what kind of... You know, if you're a really good land manager, you just can't cope with drought and fires and floods. And then as as this forecast for the weekend, frost um, all in you know, in that short amount of time. I had uh, uh, probably lost one out of two twin lambs this morning for, you know, because of hypothermia. <laughs> it's just, it's crazy. And um, I don't know how we're going to, you know, the bigger the bigger worry is, uh, you know, our food security. And all feeds into higher prices for food and all this because we are just not prepared to give up a little bit of our standards and you know stop using fossil fuels
1: that is angela keith from brogo on the south coast and she's a supporter of farmers for climate action it is five to one on the country and let's head to the markets
0: 64
1: and first up today, let's head to Wagga and get the results from the land markets. Land good afternoon. Good afternoon. Agents yarded
17: 34,000 lambs and 13,000 sheep. Quality was very good to fair. A combination of limited numbers at southern sales and wet weather ignited the market with prices jumping $15 to $30. Odd sales more. Buyers chase weight with the heavier lambs enjoying the bigger price gains. New seasons trade 20 to 24 kilo, 90 to 138, 24 to 26, 129 to 154, 26 to 30, 142 to 160, over 30 kilos, 161 to 169. Old trade lambs, $70 to $118. Heavy old lambs, $130 to $160. Over 30 kilos, $145 to $197. Merino trade, $78 to $120. Heavy merinos, $138 to $150. Lambs back to the paddock, topped at $112. Hoggetts perform like rock stars, with sales jumping up to $40. Prices range from $70 to $105. With a sheep yet to be sold,
1: Leanne Danks, MLA. Love the musical commentary there, Leanne, and with the results from Dubbo Cattle. David Monk, good afternoon.
14: Numbers were back by 3,500 for a yarding of 1,939. It was a mixed yarding with some very well finished grain assisted yearlings, along with only limited numbers of young cattle to suit the feeders. There were limited numbers of ground steers and heifers, and there were 500 cows yarded. Young cattle of the trade were considerably dearer with the better quality of factor. Prime vealers sold to 282, while the prime yearlings sold from 170 to 292. Feeder steers were up to 10 cents dearer, while the feeder heifers were up to 40 cents dearer. Feeder steers sold from 175 to 250, while the feeder heifers sold from 142 to 245. Young cattle of the restockers were around firm, with the young steers selling to 236 and the young heifers 166. Ground steers were firm, while the few ground heifers were 8 cents dearer. Prime ground steers sold from 170 to 234, while the ground heifers sold to 206. Cows are up to 30 cents dearer with the two and three scores, selling from 50 to 173. Prime heavyweight cows sold from 146 to 193 to average 174. Heavy bulls sold to 180. This is David Monk reporting from Dubbo.
1: Thank you, David. And finally today, let's get the results from Yas with the cattle market there. Graham Richard, good afternoon.
18: Good afternoon. Rain dampened supply with only two hundred and eighteen pen. The quality was also back with most of the young cattle lacking condition. There was a good run of growing steers and thirty-eight cows. Not all the usual buyers operated, and with the plenty yarding and the lack of supply in most categories, prices were cheaper on the young cattle, but the export run was dearer. Butcher vealer sold to 145, feeder steers 142 to 155. Restocking steers, 100 to 144, and a heavy steer reached 158. Restocking heifers, 30 cents to 111. The only prime trade cattle were heifers, and they ranged between 160 and 190. The run of grown steers were firm, 182 to 230, cows 10 to 12 cents stronger. The medium weights, 105 to 122, heavy weights, 122 to 145. And this has been Graham Richard.
1: Great, thank you, Graham. And that is it for the markets today, and almost for the country. But uh, look, got some weather-related road closures um, at Merkadul Road out of Walgett, is due to adverse weather. Road closed there. Uh, more out west, roads closed due to flooding at Wilkenya, Menindi West Road, Ivanhoe Menindi Road. Penawilla, Norma Ro- uh, Norma Downs Road, around Broken Hill, we've got uh, Mount Woo-woo-la-ra, um Road closed, Waterbag Road, and at Silverton, Daydream Mine Road is also closed, and floods have closed the road to Lightning Ridge from Dubbo at Kaluis, uh, Goran Lake Road between Nia Siding Road and South Wondoba Road is also closed. That's almost it for the Country Hour today, but make sure you join myself and Miranda Saunders tomorrow. We are broadcasting from the Kyogle show. So hope to catch you then. But right now, it is news time and one o'clock.